You're listening to NM Radio. We look at the birds and we're like, look at your song. Look at what you're capable of. We cannot actually achieve the beauty and the virtuosity that you achieve as a bird. There are so many different sorts of bird song, right? So there's bird song that is very, very impressive and with its like trilling virtuosity. But then there are other bird songs that are like very almost seductive and slow and quiet and mournful. In 10,000 Birds, as musicians, we are almost in a position of awe at these unbelievable virtuoso musicians, the birds. And so actually the music of the piece is only the sound of birdsong and of frog calls. That was Tim Munro, and he was talking about 10,000 Birds, a piece by John Luther Adams. Tim is a 2019 NM guest artist and he'll be coming to NM in late May where he'll work with five NM musicians to bring this work to life. But first, who is Tim Munro? Born in Brisbane, Bris Vegas, in 1978, was a pretty low-level quality pianist, ended up switching to the flute because my mum found a book that lined up instruments with personalities. And apparently flute was like bubbly and outgoing and extroverted and liked hanging out with people. And apparently I was some of those things. I went to uni for flute in Brisbane, but like always had that kind of Australian dream where Australia was never good enough. I had to dash across the world somewhere. And so I applied for everywhere on the earth, seemingly, and I ended up with a scholarship to come to Oberlin College in Ohio in the United States. And then I like kind of crashed back into Australia after those two years in America. And I had this feeling that I didn't know how to move forward with my career or my playing. That was actually when Anam came along, and it came along at an incredibly important, crucial moment where I wasn't sure I could be a professional flute player. Anam gave me the space and the incredible expertise of the teachers, but also of the students. Then I actually took a desk job for six months with the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra trying to work out what was my next professional step. And that was when a kind of bolt came from the blue, which was this sextet based in Chicago called Eighth Blackbird. And I'd heard of them because they all went to Oberlin College where I'd studied in the States. There was a flute vacancy in the group. And I flew halfway across the world to take the audition which was three hours long and included telling a very long and detailed dirty joke, a crucial part of any audition process. And I got the job and it changed my life. And I played in that group for nine years, became a US citizen, married an American, found my home here. And I've been here ever since. 
With 8th Blackbird, Tim won three Grammys, premiered over 100 works, and toured seven countries. Now he does a whole bunch of things, and among them, he's the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra's creative partner, a member of the Grossman Ensemble, performs as a soloist, and he's a broadcaster and writer as well. The first time Tim played a John Luther Adams piece was an awe-inspiring experience. In a giant building that was the size of a whole New York City block called the Park Avenue Armory. It's basically like an aircraft hangar. I was part of a performance of a work for 99 percussionists and each of these percussionists was placed in a different part of this enormous hall. His music is very deeply attached to a sense of place and all of his works in some ways responds to a place. My life's work really began with birds. They're my neighbors, uh, uh, and they're my teachers. In, in, in some very real way, I feel like the birds are, are my teachers. They're my masters. That was John Luther Adams talking from Mexico City over Skype. He's also had an incredible career. He's won a Pulitzer Prize and a Grammy for his symphonic work, Become Ocean, and his chamber and symphonic music has been played and enjoyed by many across the world. A number of his works are intended to be performed either outdoors or in unconventional spaces, and they relate closely to the natural world. Here's how his musical journey began. I came of age in the in the 1960s. I'm a baby boomer, and... I didn't get excited about music until I guess I was 12, maybe 13, when I formed my first garage band. My career as a rocker was was intense but brief. I listened to John Coltrane and Ornette Coleman, Javanese and Balinese gamelan music and Indian classical music, African drumming, Chinese and Japanese classical music, you know, Bach and Beethoven, Western classical music. I was a, a big fan of... Francis Vincent Zappa, the gateway drug to Varese. And from Varese, it didn't take take us long to discover Paulino Laveros and John Cage and Morton Feldman and Conlon Nancaro and Ruth Crawford Seeger and all this stuff that in those days, I guess we called avant-garde music. From there, he studied composition at the Californian Institute of the Arts, also known as CalArts, and he then moved to Alaska in the late 70s, where he lived for nearly 40 years. Before he moved to Alaska, he started listening closely to birds. After I left music school in the early 1970s, I wasn't sure what I would do next, but I decided that I wasn't ready for graduate school. And my girlfriend and I took up with an old farmer in rural Georgia. We lived in the old farmhouse, and I began listening to the music of birds. I was living on this farm, working as as the farmhand. So I would go out before dawn in the morning with my notepad, I'd walk all over the, the hills and, and fields and through the woods and listen, listen to the birds and write down what I could. And then I'd, uh, I'd go to work. And then again, at the end of my work day, uh, around sunset, I would do the same thing. So it was morning and evening, and I did this for, for weeks, if not months, before I started trying to make actual pieces. 
the result was a series of pieces called Songbird Songs, uh, my settings of, of bird songs in the southeastern United States. I told myself, you know, I don't want this to become a gimmick, a thing. I don't want to be the bird guy. So with the self-consciousness of the young artist, I said, well, maybe I'll put this down now and maybe I'll come to it uh, again later in life. And in fact, that's exactly what's happened. And it was a long break. John Luther Adams wrote Songbird songs in the late 70s and 10,000 Birds in 2014. In 10,000 Birds, the birds come from the east of North America, well up into Canada and some down into Mexico as well. Most are from the eastern hardwood forest to the beginnings of the Great Plains further south. And that's actually the area in which I live. Chicago's part of the American Midwest. And so I'm surrounded by the birds of this piece every day. One of the things that he does with 10,000 Birds is he actually is sort of almost crafting a whole day in the natural world sounds. There's like a dawn chorus of all of the birds of the dawn. And then there's the sounds of dusk and at night there are all these sometimes quite funny sometimes quite terrifying sounds of the frogs of the region but here's where the fun part happens because the way that he set up the piece is that he has left a lot of the structure of the piece up to us as the performers so when you open the score for Ten Thousand birds what do you see simply just a folio of transcribed birdsong. And then there's a separate page that has the complete instrumentation of all of the birds. So he has a kind of like suggestion for how you might structure the piece in terms of the passage of a day and what sort of birds. But then like how chaotic, how raucous it is, what order of birds, which instruments are playing which birds, what position in the hall, in the space are these birds coming from, what should the lighting be? All of these things are entirely left up to the performers. I mean, he set us a problem. He set us like a crossword puzzle of a piece of music where it's like, we have this number of instruments, we have this number of birdsong, how do we deploy these? so that they have the maximum impact on an audience. We as classical musicians can take these sounds that he has crafted carefully and we can use our experience with these older composers and with the classical music world to kind of construct something beautiful. I'm working with five of the Anna musicians as what we're calling artistic partners to sort of compose the piece with me. My name is David Moran, I'm a cellist and I'm halfway through my second year at Anam. The cello has the ability to evoke many different textures and tone colours. Of course there's a classic seagull effect which I won't be doing (laughs) for this kick, (laughs) but that's an option. All string instruments really just have such a wealth of tone colour possibilities that no other instruments can really evoke I think. I was really excited to be involved in a piece like this. There's a lot of flexibility involved and also different kinds of responsibilities for the performers. For my section, I think I'll be doing one in the afternoon, so I'm wondering whether it'll be a lazy afternoon or a rambunctious afternoon. You've already Skyped with Tim. Mm -hmm. How was that experience? It was really cool. I felt like musically we're certainly like-minded, definitely. Of course, I'm very interested in new music stuff and... That's been such a big part of his life. And it's nice to know that he's a, an AM alumnus as well. So, you know, there's potential for, for us to do interesting stuff, hopefully, after school. Yeah. 
right from the very outset, the NM artists were asking so many good questions. They immediately understood the nature of the piece process that would go into creating the piece and they were immediately like getting down into the details and trying to you know get from me a sense of how the process would go I feel like they're going to help me as much as I'm going to help them that's the best possible way is that it'll be a true collaboration the real work starts when I hit the ground in Melbourne at the end of May and that's when over the course of six days we're going to essentially we're going to brick by brick build this cathedral the Anam Hall will be transformed. In a usual concert hall, there's a distance between the performers and the audience, but for 10,000 birds, the space will become even more intimate. Music will surround the listener as the boundaries between the performer and the audience are broken. I think the natural resonance of the hall will be really interesting, both for the cacophonous effect and also for allowing very you know, sparse, gentle sounds to come through. Texturally, it can be really exciting. And also spatially, I feel like it's a really good chance for us to explore the full hall in all capacities, not just in the traditional sense of performers at the front and audience watching, but maybe a more surround sound experience. I've wanted to do this piece at NM for so many years. You know, fingers crossed, if we do the things, make the piece effective, it will really have that impact of being like in, in a beautiful cathedral. Because it is, it's a beautiful cathedral. <laughs> it's like a beautiful non-religious cathedral. And unlike many other classical music concerts at Anam, the audience is free to move around and explore the space. There's no best seat in the house for listening to 10,000 birds. Each listener's experience will be unique. And like the musicians, the listeners can be both stationary and moving. You know, you can choose to root yourself in one spot for the whole performance and let the music move around you. Let, let, let the birds come and go and, and let the world revolve around you. Or you can choose to walk and follow your ears, and you might choose to follow one group of musicians through the musical landscape, or you may just choose to follow your ears wherever they may lead you. We're so used to our space being the stage and having this nice feeling of, of comfort and distance as well. I think um, one thing that can be quite intimidating is like a close proximity to an audience member and sort of feeling like they'll hear all the additional sounds that you might not necessarily want them to hear, which is very exciting, I think, as well, and also nerve-wracking, too. But I really like the idea of this piece challenging us or in inviting us to sort of abandon our conventional expectations of a piece of music, formally at least. As performers and listeners, we're sort of, in the Western tradition, we're so used to sort of a linearity in a piece of music which has you know, a narrative arch or something like that, and to be involved in something where we sort of leave those preconceptions behind or try and leave those preconceptions behind, I think can be really exciting for both performers and listeners. The thing that I will always come back to about John's music is that we are always at all moments thinking of the audience first. What is the audience experience of this piece? It's never about like, what is our interpretation of this as musicians and how do we like search our souls? It's about like, how do we find 
uh, way to express these these ideas and get these ideas across. And I hope that every listener and audience member has a different reaction. But my reaction to this piece is look at how we cannot achieve the amazing or inspiring quality of a bird. So we're, we're aiming to, we're aiming, we're struggling to be as good as birds, but we can't, we can't achieve it as lowly musicians. There are people who are going to come away with this piece who completely have an, an entirely other way of reacting to the piece that don't even think at all about um, our place in nature. And maybe some people will, I hope, come away from this piece and think, what an incredibly beautiful piece of music, because that's also what we're trying to achieve. In art music, like what bird songs have represented from Baroque to present day, I think like there's always been like this obsession, particularly in French music, I found actually with Couperin, Ravel, Messiaen, this like love of, of birdsong. My hope is, I guess, not only to evoke a natural sound world, but also like something that sort of maybe taps into this history of the birdsong and art music generally, yeah. What I'm hoping to do through music is provoke an authentic experience, a personal experience of your own in relation to music, and place and let you find your own way and for me music and especially this kind of music in which both the musicians and the listeners are free this music it's a kind of sounding model for the way we might be in the world it it, i guess you could say it's a sort of model for the society that i'd like to inhabit in which we each feel more fully empowered and more fully responsible for our own place in the world. And I think if we can imagine and if we can bring about a society like that, then problems like climate change and all this other panoply of, of, of overwhelming problems that we've created for ourselves will be dealt with because they'll have to be. My creative thought have been obsessed with space and place and um, this deep, inarticulate hunger to feel at home on the earth, wherever we may be. I'm hoping to invite you into a place where you can have a real experience, a primary experience of your own. 10,000 Birds by John Luther Adams will be performed at the Australian National Academy of Music in the South Melbourne Town Hall on Tuesday the 4th of June at 7.30pm. Anam guest artist Tim Munro will collaborate with five Anam musicians as artistic partners to shape the performance and they are Maggie Pang Piano, David Moran Cello, James Knight Percussion, Carol Wang Bassoon and Jared Yap Viola. The hour-long concert will be performed by Tim, the five artistic partners and Anna musicians, and will be followed by a Q&A about the piece. This was an Anam podcast written, produced and edited by me, Maddie Twoster. A big thank you to John Luther Adams, Tim Munro and David Moran for their time. 
The flute music that you're hearing now and you heard earlier in the podcast is called Liminal Highway by Christopher Cerrone, performed by Tim Munro. And the sounds of birds were by birds. For more information on 10,000 Birds, Anam Radio and everything Anam, visit anam.com.au.